Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. This is Steve King. I'm the Managing Director at Cyber Theory. Today's episode is going to talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence and where we've come and where we've got to go. And I have uh, the pleasure of talking this morning with Laurent Hayson, who's the co-founder and CEO of Aporia. Aporia is a full-stack machine learning observability platform used by Fortune 500 companies and data science teams around the world. It helps monitor billions of daily predictions and maintain uh, AI responsibility and fairness. And we'll get into what that means in a minute. Prior to founding Aporia, Laurent was a, a machine learning architect at a company called Adalom, which was acquired by Microsoft. And he wrote his first programs and applications in his early teens. Uh, he also served five years in the IDF before leaving with the rank of captain. So welcome, Loren. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you for joining us today. So let's dive right in. Tell me what the current state of AI and ML are in cybersecurity and what the most interesting and promising applications for for these technologies are right now. Yeah, so I think it's pretty interesting to look at, you know, on what happened in the cybersecurity space with regards to AI, right? So if we go back in time, I think that in the past few years, a lot of companies bought visibility solutions, for example, solutions to have visibility for your um, devices in your organizations, right? So if you have uh, Mac devices, mobile devices, maybe you have smart car, you want to have visibility and to be able to answer how many devices do I have in my organization? Um, but that's just one. Then we have CSPM for providing visibility for cloud security and, and so on and so forth. So a lot of security teams acquired a lot of visibility tools which ended up with a lot of data. So they have a lot of data about what's going on within their network and what devices and what activity these devices are doing and what the users are doing. Uh, maybe they're connecting from California a few minutes later, someone, same user is connecting from another country. So they were able to gather a lot of data, which created a huge challenge. So what do we do with all this data? Because if we need our security team to start reviewing all these information and all these alerts, well, it will never end. And not only that, usually there are plenty of false positives. So how do you deal with that? So on one hand, you challenge, but that's also an opportunity because once you have a lot of data, you can really start mining this data to derive insights and to make better decisions. And that's what we see, I think, in the last few years, where more and more cybersecurity solutions have started to incorporate AI technology in their offering, therefore allowing their end users, the different security teams, to make smarter decisions. And instead of just kind of losing themselves in piles of data, they can really enjoy for much more sophisticated and much more to-the-point insights and alerts on different security events. I was just going to ask you, though, 
um, you were going to talk about what you thought the most promising applications for AI and ML are right now. So there are multiple applications for AI and ML, and just to name a few. So, for example, even back in the day at, at Adelum, so I was part of Adelum Labs team, where we collected a lot of data from the cloud environment from our, our uh, clients, and we implemented machine learning models to find anomalies in the behavior of these users. So think about a Fortune 500 company uh, with tens of thousands of users, right? Each one of them is behaving differently. So just setting a set of rules to find a potential attack usually would end up with just tons of false positive alerts. So that's exactly what we did back then. We utilized machine learning to identify anomalies within the behavior of each and every user within the organization, right? And then our system was able to alert upon suspicious behavior using machine learning because it already learned the baseline behavior of each user. And when something got changed dramatically, it could alert on that. Um, so that would be, yes, sir. So is that working off of a behavioral model that tried to say, you know, normal employee behavior is X, anything, you know, X plus X, X plus Y would equal uh, anomalistic behavior and then you flag down? Yeah, so that would be a very, very sim sim simple description of, of that. Our audience and myself are both very simple-minded <laughs> folks trying to wrap our brain around, you know, machine learning. Uh, you know, that's not going to happen. But from a use case point of view, a lot of us, you know, worry about the amount of the human factor that's involved in cybersecurity these days. And what many of us want to have happen is that that human factor be automated where it's not being used for analytical or complex decision-making purposes. So that's, you know, from my point of view and from, my, I think, our audience point of view is that's what folks are hoping that AI is going to be able to do someday so that, you know, we can, we can you know, lower the instances of uh, human error-caused breaches. Absolutely. So when, when you have that much amount of data, like you have all the events from the different cloud providers, like, for example, Steve, as a user, got to G Suite and started downloading files from the Google Drive, right? Um, later on, he went and sent a few emails. Then he went back and maybe deleted a few files. So what is the normal behavior of Steve? And when does that start to be anomalous? Like, this is a very open, very challenging question to answer, especially when each and every person is different. And as you said, it becomes very, very challenging. And this is where AI comes very handy. So instead of uh, an engineer or security engineer trying to analyze these piles of data and activity, we see more and more companies using AI to analyze these data to find out the anomalous behaviors and therefore reduce the amount of false positive alerts that you get upon potential attacks. Yeah. Are there, I mean, there are, obviously privacy issues around using that data as well. And I, I think that you, aren't a lot of machine learning models leveraging uh, synthetic data for 
testing and product evaluation? Yeah, so um, this is another concern when it comes to AI and machine learning, right? So maybe let's talk a bit about what what is machine learning? What How does that work and how is it different than traditional software engineering, right? So when you have traditional software engineering, you have a software engineer that, you know, they might review the data, analyze some kind of behaviors, and they, they can code a specific an identification uh, detection for specific behaviors. For example, saying, if Steve logged in from the U.S., from Arizona, five minutes ago, and an hour later, he logged in from France, well, no way it could be unless, you know, he's Superman, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously, that's not the case, as far as I know. And therefore, that would be considered as an anomaly. So this would be something, a very, very simple behavior that a software engineer can write down and implement. When we think about the cybersecurity attacks and the way attackers got evolved in the last years, they became much more sophisticated. So using this kind of behaviors and algorithms wouldn't be enough to capture an attack or to realize that an attack happened. And that's where AI becomes very powerful. So just maybe to elaborate a bit more about what's AI and how it works. So instead of this engineer writing specifically the set of rules to identify behavior, you just take piles of data from, for example, from the past five years of network activity, user activity. Some of them are flagged as attacks or malicious behaviors. And you let the machine, the, and you let the computer really learn and find it on its own what are the patterns that identifies an attack. So by the end of this process, what we get is called a model. And this is a software that learns from the data. And essentially, we can now send some new data on activity. And this model will be able to tell us, is it anomalous? Is it, is it suspicious behavior that might be an attack or not? So that's to point to your question about data sensitivity when it comes to Machine learning models, um, data sensitivity is an interesting issue. Yeah, and and I'm assuming that we're we've got embedded machine learning models in in uh, applications today, like in finance or credit risk or what have you. If you had access, if you figured out access, and you you know you know got into one of those models, and you know made a couple of very minor changes, um, you could manipulate a lot of the deterministic uh, outcomes in terms of, you know, what the model is trying to do. And then, and then you could make that outcome in, you know, uh, report sort of in your favor. Isn't, isn't that a big risk to this stuff now? Yeah. So what you're talking about is when we do use machine learning as part of cybersecurity solution, one of the, or in general, when we use machine learning, one of the main risks is that an, a malicious attacker might manipulate the behavior of the machine learning model by creating an effect or changing the training data. How can they do that? So you might think that they need to get an access to the data and that requires an attack of its own. Uh, but the reality is that it's actually much more simple. Why is that? The reason is very simple. And this is because we as consumers, 
we are using machine learning models, even when we don't know about it, when we get, for example, when we submit a loan application request, right? So by the end of the day, we feed behind the scenes. A lot of times there's a machine learning model estimating the risk for the organization of giving us a loan. So by us actually feeding an input to that system, then as part of the feedback loop, our data is going to be used for retraining a better model in the future. So that means that as a general user, as a consumer, you essentially, you can affect the data that will be getting to the training of the model. Uh, you don't have to be very, very sophisticated in order to do that. And then what you can do by doing so is you might be able to manipulate the behavior of the model um, if you're able to insert the right data points. Mm -hmm. I think one of the use cases that most folks understand, and we've all, I think, probably read about the activity at Google around their uh, research group that was you know, trying to eliminate biases in, in modeling as well. How do you, you know, the, the employment application, which uh, a lot of systems today use, AI and machine learning to, you know, as part of that process, it's kind of freighted with uh, biases, is it not? And, and isn't that a, you know, problem slash opportunity as well? I mean, what do you, what has your, been your experience around uh, looking at that problem? Fairness is definitely a very interesting challenge to deal with, right? So, when on traditional software where you have an engineer that can ask, well, how does the algorithm how does the algorithm work? What is the logic here applied? You cannot have the same questions for the builder of the model because the model in a sense is a kind of black box. You can think of it a bunch of numbers that statistically we know it works. But it we as people we don't really we are not clear about the exact logic. And because it's it's a black box system, that means that we don't necessarily knows, know whether the, mod, the model has some unintentional bias or not. So that's a very interesting challenge that we at Aporia, we, we try to tackle and help organization overcome. And the way we do it is by actually tracking and monitoring these machine learning models as they run in production. And we see the decision, our system sees the decision that these models are making. If we were to get back to the loan application model, we can see how many users got rejected, how many approved, and is there any unintentional bias within the model? But that's assessing or reviewing the the output from the system, right? You see, you know, I think you you know characterize it as a black box, and when you look, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to know what's going on inside, right? I mean, at some point it. It's it's building its own kind of you know code vocabulary that you that we as the creators will never be able to understand or explain because we we can't right I mean isn't that you talk about uh, you know probabilistic versus deterministic and that the accuracy is limited because of that because it's probabilistic limited to you know 10 15 points of uh, not 100%. So it's not just how can we trust the system that we can't explain 
the way it comes to its predictions. But how do you what do you how do you explain those predictions to the regulatory folks in industries like the financial whole financial sector, where at least in the United States, you know, you, uh, financial firms are obligated by law to explain to their customers why you know why they were rejected for a loan application. Yeah, and this is a huge challenge for the financial sector in the U.S. Right, because they they're obliged to provide this kind of explanations to why they, as a business, made the decision, regardless if they're using machine learning or not. But if they want to use machine learning, that that becomes a real challenge, and and that's part of the things our solution helps with. So it doesn't solve it doesn't solve the black box problem of AI, but instead what it's doing it's kind of it analyzes the model and the decisions the the model is making. And then it is able to generate a human readable explanation for what led the model to reach specific predictions. So with the financial uh, regulation example, right? If you submitted a loan application and you got rejected, with Aporia, what you will get is actually a sentence telling you, well, the reason this loan application got rejected is because you have low income rate. And if you were to increase the income rate, you would become eligible for a loan application. So it is something that we see more and more companies um, that are paying attention to and starting to focus on on solving and adopting solutions to overcome these challenges. So because you focus more on a categorical explanation versus a specific explanation within the category, you're able to satisfy audit requirements from a regulatory point of view? In other words, if you just said, you know, you had a low income issue and that's why we rejected you, you don't have to prove well, what that income was or what your standards are or any of the rest of that. Is that correct? Yeah, but you can also get down to the level of a single data point in Emporia. And you can say for a specific person exactly what led the model to reach that decision. Is it ever wrong? No, so the the explain the explanation and the way it works is um, based on a known concept called Shapley values. So it's based on that. It's uh, an algorithm from game theory, and no, like it's very very scientific the way that our system analyzes the behavior of the model. Mm-hmm. Forbes obviously. <laughs> is very supportive. I guess they've named you as the next uh, unicorn, the next billion dollar startup. Did that just recently happen or was that earlier in the year? Yeah, so that happened a few months ago. Um, You know, I think the last year was very significant for Aporia. We've been working with very large organizations as well as some um, smaller leading tech companies on really helping them with getting their machine learning models to production, helping them really evaluate what's the business value they're getting from these machine learning models. You know, we, we started this discussion talking about cybersecurity. And in cybersecurity, the ability and monitoring is very basic, right? It's not a new idea. But in the machine learning world, because it's pretty much new field, a lot of companies are already running machine learning models in production and they're lacking that visibility of seeing what predictions these model these models are making, how well they are performing, and having something like Aporia becomes a necessity. So 
I believe that's part of the reason that Forbes sees a poet that way. And in addition, if you think about it, we've got like in every industry, whether it's cybersecurity or financials or automotive, wherever you use machine learning in production and you make decisions that are affecting either people's life or your business, you have to have some kind of visibility. So you have to have a solution like a Poirier in place. Are companies, are your customers under any obligation to their customers to disclose what techniques and or algorithms they're using to make the, whatever determinations they're making? I guess it depends. Some of them, are, it depends on the vertical. We are working with cross-industry customers. Some of them are not obliged for that. Others are more like the financial. So we have clients in financial services, which obviously this this is mandatory. Yeah. All right. Do you expect that in the next, I don't know, year or two, that we're going to see AI and machine learning and show up in uh, in the majority of you know applications that are developed, or however you want to describe that use cases or if we look around the computing environment, is, is that your expectation? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that AI, we are being affected already by AI much more than we think or we realize hmm. as consumers. In so many cases, when we go and search a website in order to buy, which could be Amazon, for example, right? So if you are familiar, when you go to Amazon.com, you have some items that are recommended for you. This mm-hmm. is based on machine learning models. When you perform a credit card transaction and you get a, an SMS message saying that this is a suspicious activity, you need to enter this number. This is also based on machine learning. So we affected very much by AI, whether we know it or not. But the pace where which the industry is growing is pretty crazy. Uh, and I definitely see a significant growth in the next few years. Yeah, well, that'd be terrific for you. And I... I agree. I'm sure that's going to be the case. It does raise an issue in the world of privacy, however, and I'm just not sure how we're all going to deal with that because, you know, I'm, I, it's obvious to me that uh, there are regulatory bodies and, you know, federal agencies in our country anyway that are sort of just like woke up and discovered that there's there could be a problem here. And are flexing their muscles around the privacy issue in spite of the fact that we give up, we happily give up, you know, all of our personal identifiable information anyway. I find it humorous that people are get uh, excited about this. Are there privacy issues that you see that will kind of isolate a, a, an industry sector or a group of applications or what have you from leveraging uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence? So privacy is definitely a super interesting challenge. Uh, even if we'll just think about Apple face detection, right? We all yeah. use it to unlock our phones. Yeah. Uh, but but what happens with this information? Right? So yeah. it's a super interesting question. I believe that this space should be regulated as well. I know for a matter of fact that regulators both in Europe and in the US already have some active discussions about how to regulate AI. Um, and in a way to create kind of G- the GDPR just specifically for AI technologies in order for us as society to really be able to adopt this technology in a responsible way. But I highly agree with you here. 
data privacy is a very interesting challenge. There are, by the way, multiple technologies and techniques in order to overcome these challenges. When you build those machine learning models from the very first phase, and we start to see them more and more common among different ML builders. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be interesting to see how this all works out. I'm sure you'll be in the heart, in the thick of things. And I see by the clock on the wall, uh, Leron, that we've used up our half an hour, and I want to be conscious of that for your sake as well. So thank you very much for spending this time with us. And and I think, as you point out, that there's some <laughs> very interesting conversations to be had going forward as well. And if uh, if you're willing to, I'd like to you know have you back in six or nine months and then revisit kind of the same area and see what what has happened and you know how much progress we've made around that. Definitely. That would be great. Thank you very much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Good. I did too. And I hope our listeners did. And until next time, I'm uh, Steve King signing off. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.